0: Welcome to the Remote First Podcast. Every week, we invite guests from large or innovative companies to share their insights on enabling an equitable and distributed workplace experience. I'm your host, Daphne Laforet. Welcome to the 2021 last episode of the Remote First Podcast. I cannot believe this is already the end of the year. In 2021, companies have been taking their shift to Remote First as a long-term strategy. We've seen multiple big organizations completely adapting their ways of working, culture, and processes to the benefits of flexible work. And this has been really exciting for me to see. Still, there's a lot to learn. And for our last episode of season three today, I'm inviting over Alastair Simpson, VP of design at Dropbox. Dropbox did a true 180, going through a complete shift since 2020. In a unique way, instead of going through that change with the angle of operations or HR, Alastair is leading it with design. Thanks for joining Alistair.
1: Thank you for having me. It's uh, great to be here on the final show. I feel very honored and privileged. So thank you.
0: I feel very honored and privileged that you're the one.
1: <laughs> thank you. And it's nice to, uh, nice to join all the way from California. Uh, thank you for taking the time in the evening.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm back in Berlin and California, so it's always hard to find the right timing for recording these sessions. So I, yeah, I really mean, appreciate your your morning, morning call with me today. Um, so. You've been leading with your team the virtual first shift of Dropbox and it's quite unique to have design leading that change so actually I think it makes a lot of sense to do it that way but to start can you introduce your role in that change and explain why uh, Dropbox is choosing design to lead its workplace transformation
1: Yeah it's it's a it's a very common question because I I'm fortunate to attend lots of different like future of work events and I'm generally the only design leader there. Uh, there's often people, you know, from HR or different types of functions, but never really design. And, and so it's a common question. And for us, um, as we, as the, the pandemic started, there was obviously an opportunity to really change how we were going to be working. And this was obviously going to, you know, be a unique opportunity in time. We definitely felt, and I was able to convince uh, Dropbox that we were essentially redesigning how we work. And in terms of redesigning how you work, you can apply design thinking practices to that. And so at the heart of design thinking is putting your customer at the heart of everything that you do. And in this case, it was our employees. And also um, challenging assumptions, framing problems in different ways, so that we could actually get to more iterative solutions that really focused on our employees as the kind of key customer that we were optimizing for. And so that's really how it all started um, as we were going through the pandemic and I was integrating into Dropbox and then with this wonderful opportunity to kind of lead through design um, and, and lead. And I also, you know, whilst design has been leading this effort, it is a true partnership. Like design, when you're building products, is a true partnership with engineering, product, data science, lots of different functions. And it's been exactly the same at Dropbox where I've been partnering with the people team. Um, at People Analytics team, many different functions across the business to make sure that we're being inclusive in how we're thinking about changing uh, work for the better for our employees.
0: Mm. I really like also in the past episode we had uh, Ross uh, Chapman. We talked about uh, hybrid being a design challenge, and you know lately there's a lot of questions about you know how to do a hybrid, or people are trying to have remote employees. They want to have it all. And realizing that there's a lot, as you say, to to redesign and everything. So do you have some thoughts around this as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you can. I certainly believe that you can treat everything as a design problem. There's a wonderful book by Bill Burnett called Designing Your Life. And it basically takes the same principles of design thinking, challenging assumptions, reframing problems as opportunities. And... um, And it applies design thinking to how you design your life. And I certainly do that personally. And then again, as the challenge of remote work or hybrid work, as many companies are looking at it, you can still apply design um, and and the frameworks that we have when we're building products usually to that same problem. Because ultimately, to build great experiences or great products, if you put the customer at the heart of everything that you're doing, then... That is going to lead to really effective outcomes, and then if you actually can iterate your way there, because that's been one of the key principles for us at Dropbox has been adopting a learning mindset, because we know that we're not going to get it right first time, and that we'll have to iterate and learn from feedback from our employees. Which is what we've been doing is we've been piloting different um, practices with our employees. We've been piloting things, learning. Hearing from employees and including them in that kind of co creation journey as we're changing how we work for the better. And so I I definitely agree with Ross. I'm actually catching up with him, I think, in the next few weeks that you can apply (laughs) design. Nice. You can apply design practices to any problem that you're kind of trying to solve.
0: So, in all the things that you've done at Dropbox, basically you said that you were having a learning process for everything, you know, having a learning approach. What is the thing that you mostly was the biggest learning? Uh, during that process of going virtual first?
1: I think, uh, I don't know if it's obvious or not, but I think, and I'll lead with the it's behavior change, really, right? If you actually, and then that may sound simple, but it's, it's often really, really hard. And so, especially when you're trying to do that at scale. And so if you think about how we work, and certainly how I think about how we work, it effectively hasn't really changed for over 100 years. Like the models that we've been working in came from factory work where you started at eight, finished roughly at five, there was a bell to start the day and a bell to end the day. That got adopted into schools as well and there were set times for breaks and it was always synchronized in time in the same place. Modern office work really is exactly the same. Like we just go to a building and you know, we have meetings, like we come together synchronized in time. And over the, even though we've got new technology, you know, phones can now dial in via Zoom or many other different video conferencing software, we've really not changed how we operate. Like people still go to an office to dial into a meeting remotely, or actually the technology is pervaded into people's lives. So instead of starting at eight and finishing at five, you'll be constantly on like after those hours, because your mobile will be pinging with different notifications. And and actually, instead of the te- technology um, enabling us to live better, more effective lives and getting a better life work balance, I like to use life first versus work-life balance. It's actually meant that a lot of technology has bled into our lives and we're just feeling always on, right? So instead, we are just synchronized in time, we go to an office and then we have these long commutes then we get home and we're still online because we're getting pinged with all these notifications and so but that's just our learned behavior for over a hundred years really is just and it's just technology is just added onto that what happened i mean remote work as you would know daphne is, has been around for a long time
0: mm-hmm. yep
1: many companies you know when and i i, I, I know this from experience they would when they looked at remote practices they'd be like oh that won't work for us we're too big like that simply won't work like this is how we work like you have to we have to be in the office for these moments of creativity you know we have to come together for those serendipitous interactions right um and actually what the pandemic you know as much as it was incredibly devastating for so many people it forced us all to challenge those assumptions it forced everybody. To say, well, will remote work for us or not? And what happened was many companies just kept working. And they they realized that it was no longer okay to just say, oh, well, that's no good for us, because you suddenly had companies of thousands of people who had transitioned to remote successfully, or even if they weren't successful, they hadn't necessarily, you know, collapsed, as many, you know, people who, you know, doomsayers would have said, it just won't work for us. And so in that change um, during the pandemic we were all forced to kind of challenge those assumptions around why remote won't work for us um, and actually what it's been proven is that people have gotten a taste you know in- employees got a taste of what it's like not to have to commute and not and they got the ability to spend more time with their children and their families or personal interests and found that they're still able to manage their career and so there's kind of no going back from that, I don't think, you know, there's, you know, employees want that, but the biggest challenge coming back to your question has been, how do you help people with those behaviors that they need to adopt in this kind of new way of working um, and, and just getting us to unlearn all of those old habits about how we thought work happened. You know, we all thought that work always happened synchronized in time in a meeting room or on a zoom call, right? Like how do we get people to change those behaviors and those assumptions because even people that want to change they may not know how
0: so when you are talking about behavioral shift for example um is there a way that you've been doing a dropbox um is there some sort of framework or something you use to help the company going through that change uh, support them in that change is a lot a lot of of things that are uh, impacting their ways of working
1: yeah definitely i think um, one of the, one of the, um, actually, let me, just before I go on to the, the real behavioral change, like kind of framework that we've been adopting, I think one of the things when we were designing, um, designing our kind of future of work strategy was we wanted to ground it in principles. Um, and this is again, something, you know, designers love to have is like principles to ground your decision-making and three of those principles, were, you know, we wanted to maintain human connection and culture, right? Because we understand that, you know, we recognize sorry, the importance of preserving that human connection as we still believe that in-person engagement is critical to fostering our culture. But we also wanted to ensure that we kept a level playing field for all of our employees where everybody had this equal opportunity to succeed no matter where they were located. The second principle was giving our employees flexibility and freedom. Because we wanted employees to have more control over how they work. You know, for example, their schedules, their working environments. And we wanted to give them more options in terms of where they worked. Okay. And so by increasing those choices, we'd have this expanded and more diverse talent pool from which we can recruit. And the third principle I've already mentioned a couple of times, but it's this learning mindset. And this really underpinned our approach because, you know, We've tried to remain nimble and adopt the same philosophy that we use to develop our products, which is build, measure, learn, and adapt. Because let's be honest, we knew that we weren't gonna get it right the first time. And so I think grounding it in those principles and then being very intentional and transparent with our employees, like the communications, the amount of communications we've had with our employees has been vast through various different channels. But then with those, um, principles in mind we recognize that you know we are trying to adopt radical change in people's behaviors right like really challenging those assumptions that i just mentioned like if anybody has a problem in the typical workday, they will default to let's schedule a meeting you know let's put a meeting on the calendar that will be the default response how do we make that not okay right how do we make that not okay and so when we were trying to inspire this company-wide behavior change for 3,000 employees, we focused on a core set of um, behavioral shifts or mindset shifts that we wanted to anchor our strategy to alongside those principles. And so we recognize that this is like a big cultural shift where we're moving from tangible, so working from your desk in an office, to the intangible, so shared unspoken behaviors and norms, and so those behavior shifts that we focused on to make this transition easier were these five concepts. And we wanted to go from a behavior and to a particular behavior. And so the behavior first one was going from busyness, where people just feel busy tech- checking off tasks on a task list to actually making sure that employees felt that they were providing impact you know, to our customers and to the business. The second one was about going from all day syncs so synchronous all day meetings you know the the badge of honor of being back to back all day right, which is not good that's not a good thing right uh, but somehow in our society we built that up as a good thing to going to asynchronous by default and that's one of the you know the words I think of twenty twenty one around remote work is like how do you work more asynchronous by default? The next behavior shift was getting people to go from. Disconnection, where they feel disconnected from their employees and the company, to belonging. How do you help people feel like they belong at the company and that they're included, even when working remotely? And then the last two is going from overload to focus. How do we help people feel like they're just totally overloaded with work to actually being able to focus on the right problem to try and solve for the customer and for our business? And then the last one is going from consensus-driven to conflict mastery. Because we believe certainly in when you're working remotely, you do miss some of the the, the kind of physical cues that you get in person. And so trust can be broken like faster when you're working remotely. And so how do you actually go from this consensus driven approach to conflict mastery, even when working remotely? And so those behavior shifts, along with our principles, kind of underpinned how we were trying to help employees go from those behaviors to those behaviors. and we've got a lot of tangible resources that we've given employees to kind of help with that, which I can talk a little bit more about if you want.
0: I'd love to. I'm actually already super impressed by this framework and everything you put together. Uh, you know, for having worked remotely for many years, and you know, as in a fully remote company, also in the past, it's really nice to see obviously big corporation or big companies having to grow through this and you know build a whole system for three thousand employees to it's i've never seen this before you know this is something that is completely completely new and this pandemic we've learned so much just by seeing that you see so many big companies going through that um i would love 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 if you could actually go through these different behavior um frameworks that you talked about and really share examples of like where you showed how to go, go over these specific topics because we often say like okay we are looking about how we can do this how can we make it more uh, create more trust in the company but we don't necessarily talk enough about what are the things that we are doing so i'd love to if you have any examples that would be really cool to hear
1: of course there's, a, there's um we've actually we've shared this i think I think you know this. If and for anybody listening, if you just go to Google and search for the Dropbox Virtual First Toolkit, you will find over twenty kits in this toolkit. And what these are, I mean, these are grounded in design thinking, really, but they're grounded in these behavioral shifts. So, for example, um, how like one of the, the behavior shifts is how do I go from all day syncs, so where I'm in meetings constantly to async by default, right? And so what we've done, and especially when you're trying to do this at scale, is at scale and remote, I certainly believe that you need to give employees self-serve tools for how to manage these behavior shifts, shifts, challenge their own assumptions, and give them frameworks and guardrails for how to change. Because just like any, you know, any behavior change that you're trying to to make giving people some form of guidance is really helpful right like i i go to a uh i'll use the analogy i go to a personal trainer i do that because i'm trying to change my own behaviors and i want to be guided through that right that's essentially what that guide is doing but when you're remote you can't have like a one-on-one personal trainer the whole time right like you, it just doesn't work and so the toolkit Is about, is over 20 individual kits where they step through um, practical ways to change your behaviors. And they've got worksheets. You can do them individually or you can run them as a team. And we shared these with obviously the entire company and now the world externally, but that all day syncs to async by default. One of the key kits in there is how to reduce unnecessary meetings. Okay. And it walks you through a step-by-step guide of how to look at the meetings that you've got scheduled, what is the purpose of them, why do you have them, are they recurring, and then helps you challenge your assumption about, should this be a meeting, basically, right? And what we also do in that kit is we give people permission to say no to meetings, and we give boilerplate examples of how to politely decline a meeting. (laughs) I love
0: that. (laughs)
1: Because, again, people, there is social pressure where you get invited to a meeting and you hit yes by default because that's just what you do, right? You click yes. There's the social pressure to kind of say yes to this meeting. And then you turn up to a meeting and there's no agenda. You're not really sure what the outcome is, who's running it. There's 10 people. And if you, I always do the math. If there's 10 people in an hour long meeting, that's 10 hours. That is That is like a quarter of a week. Right, worth of people, person time. So that's a lot. And so if that meeting is not um, you know, outcome focused, inclusive, doesn't have an agenda, and you know, inclusivity is also part of this because how do you run inclusive meetings? Incredibly important. And we have a kit in the toolkit about how to run inclusive meetings because different types of personality types, if you're more introverted, you may want an agenda so you can prepare before the meeting so that you can actually know, get in your head what you might want to say, right? based on the topics that are going to be covered. If you don't have an agenda, how does somebody prepare for that meeting? It's not very inclusive, okay? And so the kits in the, in the toolkit are designed to really help people step by step, give them frameworks and guardrails. They're not process, they're not check boxes, they're not total instructions. We encourage people to flex with them, but they're just designed to help people get over that hurdle and change their own behaviors. and. And we have a number of them anchored to all of these, you know, from disconnection to belonging. We have a number of, um, kits to help teams create team charters. Because if you have a charter as a team and you know what your mission is as a team, you feel like you belong. You actually feel like you're, you're part of this team. You've created that. But, and so we've got a kit in there about how to kind of help people do that. And then also how to, you know, just get to know one another. And so these are really, really important to, give to employees so that at scale, people can self-serve and have guidance and then create confidence around how they're gonna work in these kind of new ways of working. And the, other, the only point I'll add onto this is, we partnered with our um, LNOD od team early on to um, run training at scale for a couple of these tool uh, kits because we believed that there was a couple of them that were really important for us to get right. To help people reduce unnecessary meetings and work asynchronous by default and so we trained over a thousand people synchronously like we did live training on these behaviors uh, because we just believe they're just so important for to help people get over the kind of hurdle um, in this new way of working
0: it's super interesting that you mentioned training because at the moment um this is basically what uh, i do also for work but uh you know people are really looking for uh, a way to to train their their leaders, team leaders, to you know, kind of like unlearn the way they used to work and also uh, relearn what are the new ways uh, of working and be able to become a, a better leader remotely. Have the same kind of uh, great skills that you are you have when you have in person. How do you are getting your team together, keeping momentum in a remote setup. So it's great to see that there there is a program at Dropbox for for that. Definitely. Um, and so if we come back to, to virtual first, and you said, that, you know, that Dropbox, meant now it's virtual first. Uh, I also, you know, have seen that you implemented studios that were more like for, for uh, uh, you know, collaboration together. Um, are these studios like offices? Is it is Dropbox virtual first, but hybrid? Like, could you explain a little bit, you know, how does it work right now? What, what is virtual first and how does it work at Dropbox?
1: Yeah, I think it's probably, that's a good, good point, right? Like when we were, when we were rethinking, um, how we wanted the future of work to look at Dropbox, we, we did see this as, uh, how do I say it? Like it was, a, it was an enormous opportunity to kind of turn, you know, to almost take a risk, but to, to turn this kind of out outdated notion of productivity or this kind of butts in seat mentality into purpose and impact and something that would be truly meaningful for our employees but when we looked because we we had a team and I've got to give credit you know to the uh, the, the HR and the people team they were leading a lot of the like research into what was going on and you know there's obviously hybrid there's remote only companies like GitLab uh, there's obviously co-located companies and so every different model you know can suit different companies right i don't want to say one is better than the other but for us we we intentionally looked at what was going on and and coming back to those principles that i mentioned earlier to you know maintain human connection culture give people flexibility and freedom um, and maintain this kind of learning mindset but but when we when we think about that principle of our principle of maintaining human connection and culture We wanted to ensure, and this is the key point I'll underscore, that we wanted to ensure that we keep a level playing field for our employees, where everyone has equal opportunity to succeed no matter where they're located. And they have the same experience, right? And so one of the problems that you you do see with hybrid setups is you'll have some people that are in the office and then some people that are working remotely. So that creates two different experiences immediately for how teams work. And that comes with different problems around inclusivity and just practical. We've all been in meetings where you've got three people in a meeting room and then a couple of tiles on the Zoom trying to dial in, right? And it and it creates an unlevel playing field and it can be awkward, right? It, it And it doesn't create this kind of inclusivity or purpose um, that I think we wanted. And so when we came out with our virtual first model, it was deliberately not hybrid. And it was deliberately not remote only. Virtual first at Dropbox means remote is our primary way of working. So I'm at home right now, this is where I spend the majority of my time, um, and when we dial into obviously Zoom meetings, we all have a level playing field, or all equal um, on that kind of Zoom grid. We did recognize, again mentioning that principle of maintaining human connection and culture, that we wanted We recognize it's important for people to meet face to face. There is a place for getting together physically. And so we retained our offices, but we've rebranded them and renamed them studios, importantly. And we've been very intentional and purposeful about what those studios are for. And those studios for us are meant for meaningful moments of connection. Collaboration and culture building. And what that means practically is I can't go to a studio and do solo work. We don't have banks of desks set up for solo work. They are intentional, we've intentionally designed that physical space for a specific purpose of collaboration or culture building. And so those studios are meant for entire teams to come together once a quarter, you know, to actually work through specific problems like an end-of-quarter retro or a quarter kickoff whatever that might be, or like a, a big, a larger social event. Uh, they're intentionally designed for that purpose. And I think that is one of the important things and the important distinctions for us with our virtual first model. Now, you might ask how those studios going. In the US, we still haven't reopened them. Just yeah, I was about.
0: I was about to ask exactly this question. I was like, so what's the usage rate right now? Are you just empty or are people going a little bit? Like Uh, because it's it's real estate you know it's uh i'll be curious
1: no honestly we opened them for about a week and then we had to close them due to the delta variant and so we obviously put employees health as paramount and so we're sticking to local guidance and so we still haven't opened any of our studios officially in the u.s and so i can't can't talk to you about the usage just yet because because we don't know you know and but that is certainly as with anything though we're we're adopting this learning mindset when we've designed the spaces they're flexible so they can be moved around. Like, you know, we've tried to make sure that you can use them for different purposes. If you've got six people, you can actually make a room smaller. If you've got 20 people, you can make the room bigger. So we've tried to be flexible with our furniture and with the interior design so that you can actually, um, well, we can change and reconfigure the rooms and the spaces as we see fit. But I think the the main point is that it's, it's intentionally designed for a specific purpose. Whereas if you look at a lot of, you know, a lot of physical space, it, it's all things for everybody, right? And so because it's all things for everybody, it doesn't have a specific purpose and it can often not do all of those things really well versus what we're saying is no, this is for teams, groups to come together to collaborate or, or culture building. And that's how we're going to design, intentionally design the space.
0: Well, I think we should definitely catch up next year because I really want to know, you know, after maybe a year of trying the studio to see, okay, like, what worked, what didn't work, what kind of change we have to make to the space to be actually more useful uh, for for employees that want to use that space. I'd be curious also to know, um, like, the location strategy of of the studios because you have like a lot of offices around the world. Um, you might want to attract talents in many different locations? Do you want them to be close to a studio? Like, what is the the strategy there?
1: Yeah, we've, I mean, we've always been anchored to specific kind of hubs. And that's how in, say, San Francisco, Austin, Texas, Seattle, New York, we have a big hub in Dublin. And so, and and a few others as well. Where, as the pandemic has gone on, um, we, as a company, we are just getting more geographically dispersed. Right. We've encouraged hiring in different locations, uh, because we, we wanted to, right? Like we, we recognize that it's a, it's an opportunity to diversify our talent pool. And we've had great success in closing roles faster, having more applicants and increasing the diversity of our candidates just through opening up different geographic locations. But right now, the hubs that we have for studios are the existing hubs that we had in the San Francisco, Seattle, New York, Austin, but certainly as we move into 2022, we're looking at, well, where do we have pockets of new drop boxes located, right? So do we have more people now in say, for example, LA than we used to have? How many people do we have there? And should we create a hub there? So that's gonna be an ongoing discussion and maybe one that we can catch up on next year, but we're certainly looking at our data to say, well, does it make sense to open a new hub somewhere?
0: Yeah, I mean, from my experience, uh, when I worked in a remote company, it was really nice to meet up. And right now, those companies that were fully remote for years, they're struggling. It's been, you know, two years that they didn't have a retreat, a meetup. It makes a huge difference when you get all together and get to feel and, you know, have a sense a bit of the people you're working with every day. Because, you know, I think my first company, I couldn't, I didn't see people for one year before, like I didn't meet them for the first full first year, that I was working there. So after one year, to see the people, I actually see like how tall they are and uh, their their uh, the way they move, and also the 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 kind of personality they have, it makes a huge difference to have a bit of this in person, and it definitely makes a difference on the culture. You can I don't believe in the fact that you can do a hundred percent remote without ever seeing each other and feel still good about it. You still want to hang out. We used to meet up in conferences or. Kind of travel even sometimes to co-work somewhere together and with some of our team just to have a bit of that feel and definitely made a big difference for for our uh, homogene- homogeneity in my, my english sometimes <laughs> so yeah, so
1: homogeneity. yeah. No, i think it's right i mean and that's why we wanted to we didn't want to be remote only and we didn't want to be hybrid. we recognize meeting as you said meeting in person makes a huge difference You know, I don't think, you know, remote only is the way to go. I, and, and I definitely, and that's where it has been hard during the pandemic because a lot of the inability to meet up, like for us, we can't open the studios due to the pandemic, not because we don't have them, it's just due to ongoing health and safety. And so if, of the last couple of years, it's been very, there's been a lot of, um, a lot of the inability to meet in person and to actually experience just normal life is due to the pandemic not because it's remote work and a lot of people confuse that i think that distinction is really important it's like people are like oh i don't like remote work because i haven't been able to meet anybody it's like you haven't been able to meet anybody because of the pandemic and the yes. health and safety and also you. your social <laughs> life And yeah your social life and your normal life hasn't been normal either because you you have been restricted in what what we can do and so I think there's that important distinction that you know what we've experienced, and we are, we do reinforces with employees what we've been experiencing for almost two years is not for us virtual first, and for many people a remote way of working. It's pandemic enforced, you know, isolation in many ways, right? And so that distinction I think will be important as we move into 2022, and hopefully, you know, it's safe to kind of meet in person um, again.
0: Yeah, and actually about this and a bit of your thoughts on the past year and you know, years to come, like what do you think of the overall efforts that company have made this year, um, you know, in their in the shift of their work mindset and the kind of how do you want them to to evolve in the next year as well?
1: I see, we definitely see this at Dropbox, and I see this personally as just it's an enormous opportunity to change what we didn't like about the way we used to work because. I think it's ironic. People like, oh, we get to go back to the office. That's awesome. Let's be honest. That didn't work for many people, right? It wasn't awesome, right? Going into a driving and commuting for however long you commuted, then sitting in a meeting, walking from meeting to meeting, often with some people dialing in remotely, and then commuting all the way home. Like that didn't work for a lot of people. Like so, I, I think, you know, I. I'm surprised by people that are just like, oh, I can't wait to get back to how it used to, it used to be because it's like, let's be honest, that wasn't working. And I definitely see that this is certainly the last two years and the next two years, are, it's a potential for this paradigm shift and they're kind of, um, this kind of democratization of workplace power in a way that's never been possible before. Right? And I think the shift is actually well overdue And we can actually make employee life work balance a priority and actually level the playing field. And I think that's what the opportunity is that we have. And if you talk to employees and there's loads of data out there, so I don't need to cite the data, but employees have got a taste of what it's not like or what it's like not to have to commute. And certainly for me, I've been able, super fortunate to spend more time with my kids, right? And or personally, if you don't have children, get more time to spend on personal interests. But all at the same time, where I'm still able to really meaningfully contribute to my career. And so for me, there's no going back, right? I just don't see a way of like, you know, stepping back. And so, and I think there are companies that are kind of clutching to that tradition, or they're unwilling to take a long, hard look in the mirror and make the changes that employees now want, and they're going to miss out on attracting the, the best talent uh, in the future. And I think, you know, for employees, there's, there's kind of no bigger incentive than giving people the ability to own their own time and the freedom to live their life the way that suits them best, you know, that is wonderful. And then the ability to create like a non-linear workday that works for your personal life, where you can meaningfully contribute to work, have a, you know, enter the company, that Incentive, you know, it's far bigger than salary or ego or titles, and nothing compares to that flexibility and freedom that I think the future of work offers, and that companies that are embracing that are, are able to offer to employees. So that's how I I think I've, you know, you asked about you know the future. I actually think that's what has been the last two years, but I also think it's relevant for the next two years because I think uh, the opportunity ahead of us is huge, and I think we've only just really scratched the surface and. Uh, and I think you know the next two years are going to be even potentially even more interesting than the past two. I think.
0: Well, on that note, I think I'm going to close the episode today. I'm so happy that you came in and shared all your thoughts. I'm looking forward for 2022 and see you know what the world has to give us for the next next year. Thank you, Alastair, for joining the podcast. Um, you guys can file, uh, find all links and show notes in the episode descriptions. I will add the Virtual First Toolkit as well. Is there anything else you want to add, Alistair, uh, that you would like to share with everyone?
1: No, I mean, the toolkit, please use it. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess the only thing is challenge your own assumptions. It's hard, but it's super worthwhile, right? It's super worthwhile, you know, how we used to work and how we think work gets done. You know, you can change that and it's, it is possible. So, so do that. And uh, there's some great things in the toolkit to help you do, help, you, uh, help you do that for yourself. And thank you for having me, Daphne. That's the only thing I'd say. I appreciate you bringing us on.
0: Thanks to you. Thank you for tuning in to Remote First. You can find all links and show notes in the episode description. And if you found value in this show, we'd love your rating on your listening app of choice. Thank you for being here. See you next time.